0: Today, we are starting a brand new series called, as you can see, Messy Church. We are starting this today, and we are going to go through a book of the New Testament called 1 Corinthians. And we are going to go through this book of the New Testament starting today all the way up to Palm Sunday. So for over two months, we're going to spend time just in this letter, so if you have a Bible with you, why don't you just open it up right now to 1 Corinthians. If you have a mobile device, you can go to greenbelt.church in your browser. There's a link up there that says media. And if you click on media, you'll see there's a sermon outline that you can follow along that way. So you can see how long this sermon's going to be. I had people come up to me after the first service. I like, said, you didn't do any of that. I went, I know, because I went down a totally different rabbit trail in the first service. so I cut a whole page. We'll see what would do this service, okay? But the heart behind this series is, I don't know about you, but um, life is messy. Now, for some reason, as Christians, we like to pretend that life is not messy. (laughs) Or if life is messy... We don't want anyone else to know about it. We are going to fake it until we make it as Christians. We're going to put the Sunday morning smile on and people are going to say, how are you doing? I'm going to say, life is good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, love Jesus. When life is just a train wreck privately at home, life is really messy. My life has got parts in it that's messy. And, and for all of us, it could play out differently. Some of us, our lives are just not what we thought it would be because there's like just bad relationships that we have. Maybe you're parents and you got these bad relationships with your kids and, and it's just really causing a lot of mess in your family. Or maybe you have parents and your parents are legalistic, Cruel, mean people and it is just so hard to deal with them. Maybe life is messy just because of money. And 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 you have a good job and you got you have a good paycheck, but you just can't seem to get ahead. You ever have that feeling like when you get a bill in the mail, it's like, I just paid this. Why is there another one? (laughs) They come every month. Four weeks. They keep coming back. They expect more money from us, right? Pay for the heat and the gas and the phone and the internet and all the mortgages. And it just seems like we're never getting ahead. Or when certain things that we're struggling with at work, with people. How many of you, you have a part in your life that's messy? We we do. Life is messy. And for some reason, we seem to think, because we're Christians... Because we believe in Jesus, because we believe that Jesus died for us. We believe that the Holy Spirit comes in us. We believe that we're made new. The Bible calls us a new creation. So because we're a new creation, there's no more mess. But all of us know that's not true. And what happens is I take my mess and I show up here with my mess. And you, with your mess, you show up here. And my mess doesn't agree with your mess. And our messes clash together. And we make it even messier sometimes. So what we're going to do for the next couple of months is go through this letter. Because, quite frankly, this letter, First Corinthians in my opinion, my opinion, is one of the harshest letters in the New Testament to read. See, when you read this, you have to read it in the context that it was written. And we're going to talk about that. And it's so important, whenever you study the Bible, you have to read it in its context. If you take the text out of the context that it's written in, all that you are left with is a con, I stole that from somebody else. It was funnier when they said it, okay? And this is what happens so often as spiritual leaders. We take these Bible verses and throw them at people, and it has nothing to do with the context of what that verse was written in. You can't take the text out of the context, right? So we have to understand that. And so this letter that we're going through is written by a pastor to the church he loves, It's written by the Apostle Paul, who loves these people. He has a deep desire to see them grow in their faith with Jesus. But their lives are messy. And when you read this letter, you're going to see throughout this series, I'm going to highlight this. One of the things I love about Paul is Paul can say stuff that the average pastor would get fired for. Because no one wants to pay for some guy to rip into me and call me out on all my sins. Like, yeah, I'll pass. Thank you. We're going to vote in someone who preaches love and grace and so friendly and warm and fluffy and talks about unicorns and rainbows and all those other things. Paul gets away with a tongue. Like, he's, he's very sarcastic when he speaks to people. But he's a loving spiritual father. Speaking to a church that he loves. So, and he wants the individual to deal with their mess, to deal with their messy life. So that when they come together as the church family, we can deal with the messiness of church. And that's my prayer for all of us, myself included, that we will all on this journey over the next couple of months, deal with the mess in our lives. So that when we come and gather as a church family like this, it helps us deal with the stuff that we deal with and grow as a church. Now, I do want to set up a little bit of context, just so you can understand the heart behind this letter. Understand what's going on in Paul's world and why he writes this. Okay, So Paul writes this letter in response to another letter that was written. You actually see that later on in, in, in the book here, in the letter here, he talks about another letter. So 1 Corinthians, if you really want to show off to other Christians, okay, don't do that. But if you want to, you can say, did you know 1 Corinthians isn't actually 1 Corinthians? It's actually like 1.8. There's another letter that we don't have. Paul makes reference to it. He sent a letter. They were like, what is this? This makes no sense. We don't understand We're just going to keep living our lives the way we want. And we have all these other people telling us that you're wrong, Paul. And so Paul, in response to how they responded to the first letter, writes this letter. Now, he writes to a group of Christians who live in this city called Corinth. Now, Corinth is an incredibly influential city. It's... It's a city um, that is known, it's renowned it's in the world for its artistry, for its wealth, for its commerce. Um, it's also famously known for, um, how do I describe this in a PG-13 sermon? <laughs> it, it's known as the city of unrestrained sexual practice. <laughs> I'll let you imagine what that means. Unrestrained. Anything goes. Sex is a part of business. Sex is a part of worship. It is all over the place. It is rampant. Whatever you want with whoever you want, however you want, where. Unrestrained. That's the PG-13 word. Okay. And this city, because it's a center of commerce, this city is filled with temples all over the place for the worship of other gods. So you'd have all the Greek gods and the Roman gods and you'd have some pagan gods and you'd have all the gods of nature and the sun gods and all these different things are there. And because there's so many people coming in and out of this city kind of like as a business hub, religion is a huge business in Corinth. There's a lot of money to make in religion. If you can set up the right temple that everyone wants to go to, you could be a very rich man or a very rich woman as a religious leader. And so this is the world that these people live in. Very messy. Very anything goes. And Paul shows up into this culture and says, okay, I know there's all these temples and all these sexual practices and all of these things. And, and, and this is kind of where when I talk to non-Christians and they say, well, these religious leaders, they were just trying to start a religion so they could become rich. If Paul wanted to become a rich religious leader, he would never have written this letter. Ever. There is no logical reason to write this if you're trying to make money. Because he's speaking against everything that makes money. <laughs> Any way to make money as a religious leader, Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So this is a great way to kind of have some apologetics with your non-Christian friends. If, you, if they think Paul's just trying to create a religion to make money, he would never have done this. You don't make money for writing this. You get arrested and killed for writing stuff like this, which is what happened to most of them, right? But Paul, so he writes into this culture, into this context, a letter of correction, a letter of pastoral love, writing as a spiritual father to a church, to Christians, that are just struggling. What does it mean with this message? Paul comes in with a message that says, okay, it's great that there's all these temples to worship all these other gods, but there's only one God. There's only one God, creator of heaven and earth. doesn't matter what everyone else is telling you around you. I'm telling you there's only one God. And you know what? This religion, this practice, this rule book, these sexual practices, this donating money, none of that pleases the gods. God is only pleased one way, and that's through the death of Jesus. That because God loves you so much, and God wants to deal with your sin, He Himself came to earth, the second part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son comes, takes on human flesh, lives a perfect life, and goes to the cross, is crucified, is murdered, so that God would be pleased, To deal with sin. But he didn't stay dead. He proved his divinity by rising from the dead. And if you put your faith in that, don't say some sinner's prayer. It's repent from your sin. Turn from your sin. Run to Jesus. If you believe that with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to be made new. Paul says that. And everyone's like, what? And they believe him. And the Spirit of God comes on them. They start seeing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. They're seeing manifestations of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts come on them to minister to people. But they're still messy. And their individual messiness from their culture is coming into the church and making a messy church. So Paul wants each person then and now to look at our mess This is not a sermon series for you to nudge your significant other. Say, this one's for you, babe. (laughs) You're not allowed. That one's for you. Or as a kid, yeah, dad, Pastor Kevin's speaking to you today. Mom, you don't do that. (laughs) Mom, Pastor Kevin's talking to you today. This is for us, for me, to let this text, this powerful word of God, clean up my mess clean up your mess that's the heart of Paul because Jesus wants to overcome the mess Jesus has come so that we would have life and life to the full Jesus has come to give power to the church to deal with the mess Paul as a spiritual father wants it for his church me as a spiritual father wants it for myself and for all of us as well so we're going to look at this and I'm going to start reading I'm actually going to skip chapter one and chapter two If you want, they're short chapters, you can read them on your own. But I'm going to start in chapter 3. We're going to start reading here in chapter 3. I'm going to start reading right here in verse 1. So this is what Paul, a pastor, spiritual father, is writing to these messy people that are struggling in a messy church. This is what Paul writes. He says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're just not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. This is in reference, like I wrote you this one letter. It didn't make any difference. You're still confused. You're still living like infants. You're still living like the world. So now i got to write you again (laughs) because it's just not seeming to work. It's not making a difference. And then he kind of gives some examples of what's going on here. He says, you know, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, Are you not worldly? Just listen for that sarcastic tone. I love Paul. Paul's awesome. Just listen for that sarcasm. If you're acting jealous and you're quarreling, isn't that worldly? Duh. That's the Kevin paraphrase. Duh. That's how you pronounce the dot at the end. Right? Are you not acting like mere humans? You're not human anymore. You are different. You are a new humanity, Paul calls the church. Why are you still acting like humans? You're a new humanity because the spirit of God is with you. You're acting like humans. When I say I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? What is Paul? They're only servants through whom you became believers as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, they have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what had been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. So do not, so do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools. So that you may become wise. Wise, fool, false. Okay, we'll get, he explains it. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. There is so much stuff in here. I could probably spend two months right here. See, what Paul is doing at the beginning of this letter, he spends the first part, chapter 1, kind of introducing himself. Kind of, It gives the welcome and who he's sending this to. It gives a little bit kind of talking about this idea that the leaders of the church seem to be divided. They're fighting over who is the most spiritual leader. They're fighting over whose teaching they listen to. You see, this has been a thing in the church since day one. Everybody has their favorite preacher. And you gravitate towards a favorite preacher. There's nothing wrong with a preference. There's nothing wrong with finding a Bible preacher that you connect to. Actually, I encourage that. I tell people, find the church that you connect to. Find the church that you will grow in. Okay, It's not about me and my kingdom. Find the place that you're going to grow. But something weird happens when we find that person that we connect to. What happens is, is if we're not careful, we begin to demonize the other ones. (laughs) It's like, well, I like this preacher. I like the way they do it. I like the way they handled it. I like the way they teach. I like the way she does it. I like this. But I don't like them. I don't want that. See, as a brand new Christian, I actually fell into that trap. As a brand new Christian, I used to attend a church where they would put the name of the preacher for next Sunday. And I kid you not. There would be Sundays where it's like, oh, it's him again. Ah, babe, do you want to sleep in? Want to stay home? Yeah, me, you have Well, no, we'll go. But I'm not inviting anybody. I'm not inviting my non-Christians to hear this person. I had my favorite. Now, I know we don't do that here at Greenbelt. I know when I go away for the month of August for four weeks, sometimes five Sundays, I know attendance doesn't drop by forty-seven percent. I, I know that. Because <laughs> we're all on holidays together. That's why the attendance drops. It has nothing to do with having a favorite preacher. <laughs> we can all fall into it and it creates a mess <laughs> when we start doing that. Paul is addressing this head on, talking about starts off with that in chapter one. He goes into chapter two, talking about the power of Christ crucified. That it's about the works of Jesus. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the leader. It's not about the style. It's not about the mission. It's not about what methodology the church is using. It's about Jesus. In a culture where anything goes, Paul is saying a very counter-cultural statement, saying, no, it's not everything goes. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. Foolishness. It's foolishness to people. It's a stumbling block to people. But this is the foundation. And he highlights what the work of what Christ has done. So then he moves into chapter three. And what he's doing here is, in the context, he's reminding these Christians as individuals and as a church who Jesus is and what God has done for them. Right? And it's crucial. To grasp this, because so often we treat the Christian faith like it's about behavior modification. Be a good girl. Be a good boy. Follow these rules. Now, I like rules. How many of you like rules? Okay, if you're a parent and you haven't raised your hand, you're a liar. Okay, because you love the rules because I know, because you have them for your kids. Right? You don't just let the kids do whatever they want. And not only do you have rules for your kids, you have different rules for each kid. right? Or was that just me? Right? You treat this one differently because this one's a little bit more trustworthy. This one's a monster, so they need more rules. Right? And sometimes we create rules and we don't even know we've done it until they break the rule. Right? We had a rule in my house and I didn't know it was a rule until my kids started breaking it every meal, spilling their drinks at the table. I'm not an angry person. I very rarely get angry. But every meal when my kids would spill their milk or spill their juice or spill their water, I wanted to take that dining room table and throw it out the window. I was furious. And it was a joke in my house because as I was getting balder, the kids knew I was angry cuz I have this thing called daddy's angry vein. And the kids would see this vein. Again, when I had lots of hair, you couldn't see it, and as the hairline went up, then you'd see this vein on the right side of my head. It get thicker and thicker and redder and bluer and it, and, it like, and and then 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 and the kids would just make fun of it and then make fun of my angry vein so I had no authority in my home during dinner time whatsoever, right? But you're breaking the rules. See, we love the rules. We love to make sure everyone's playing by the rules. And so it's so important to understand the context here of what Paul's talking about because you could read this letter like a bunch of rules and then sit there and tell everyone, tell your kids, tell your significant other, tell your coworkers, tell people who don't know Jesus that you better follow the rules or God will be displeased. That's actually not the heart of Paul. Paul is not about following the rules he 's about Jesus and Jesus crucified and Jesus resurrected. but he is talking about judgment in this chapter and just for just so you can understand what he 's talking about because we don 't talk about this a lot, but the Bible teaches that there are two judgments for humanity there 's two judgments for humanity. the first is what we call the salvation judgment: who goes to heaven? And who doesn't go to heaven? Then the Bible teaches, Paul teaches, we teach that the only way that you go to heaven is by turning from your sin, repenting of your sin, and accepting Jesus as Lord. That's the first judgment. And all of humanity will be judged based on that. With God for eternity, separated from God for eternity. That's the choice. But then the Bible teaches there's another judgment. And this is the one, I don't like it. <laughs> and I don't like it because God is going to judge me on how I live my life. How I live my life doesn't get me into heaven. But how I live my life will be judged by God. And that's what Paul is addressing when he's talking about The rules, when he's talking about, look at how you're living, you need to kind of give up this sin. It's because he's talking to the church, you're going to heaven, but I love how he puts this here in verse 15. He's talking about our works, right? Our works, the foundation is Jesus. Our works are the gold, the straw, the jewels, the diamonds that we build. And then the fire comes, the judgment comes, and then all the works will be burnt away. And he says, some people are going to enter heaven. How does he put it? Even though only as one escaping through the flames. There's another version of the Bible. I can't remember which one, but it says, as one whose backside is burnt. It's a new body. That's a whole other sermon. Okay? But this is what Paul is addressing. Jesus teaches this. The apostles teach this. It's not about the rules. It's about our lives. It's about the foundation of Christ and how our lives respond to the gift of salvation that we have received. So, Paul's big idea here in chapter 3 is look at verse 16. Paul says this, I love it. Here again, here's that sarcasm. Here's kind of that tongue of Paul. It comes out, he goes, Don't you know that you yourselves, it's the language here, it's you as individual and you as the church. You yourselves are God's temple. See, he writes this verse to a culture where there's a temple on every corner. You could worship any God, any way, any style. The church down the road, you can actually have sex there while you're going to worship service. All the men sign up for that church. I don't understand why. Okay, but it's just this weird thing that happens. Right? And Paul is saying, no, no, no. All these temples, they're meaningless. You're the temple. You are the temple. God's presence is not in a building. God's presence is in you. And Paul's big idea is that you, individual Christian, you, church, family, you are God's presence in this city. So clean up your temple. You are the presence of God in Corinth. So clean up your temple. You are the presence of God in Ottawa. So clean up your temple. That's the heart of Paul. That's why this topic is so interesting to study and to look at. Because Paul is incredibly concerned for the church. Because we are the have open confession to all 400 people who attend here, no. But you have to find someone you can be real with before God and each other. And that's the heart of Paul. So what I want us to do as we kind of begin this series is I want to, I want you to ask yourself, how is my temple? If you are the temple of the Spirit of God, is your temple messy? How is your temple? And the way I want us to unpack this through the text is I want all of us to ask ourselves three questions. We're going to ask ourselves three questions to help us look and evaluate our temple so that we can do some work to clean up the temple, to build it up. The first question that we can ask ourselves, I encourage you, write these things down, put them in a note in your cell phone, talk about them in your life group this week, talk about them with your family. You know, but ask yourself the first question is, are you thinking worldly or spiritually? Are you thinking worldly or spiritually? Like right away here in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says to these Christians, he says, look, look, like I can't address you as people who live by the Spirit. Because you're not living by the Spirit. You're living by worldly teaching. You're living by worldly standards. I'm trying to teach you spiritual things. But you're not thinking spiritually, you're thinking worldly. Are you thinking spiritually, or are you thinking worldly? Right, like I love how he starts this letter in in chapter one. In chapter one, this is who Paul is writing to. Right, he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Right? He's writing to holy people. You are a saint if you have put your faith in Jesus. You're not some dirty, rotten sinner that God hates. You're a saint. You're holy. You're set apart. You're different than the world. So why are you thinking like the world? <laughs> Are you thinking spiritually, or are you thinking worldly? Here's a great way how I've seen this play out, and I've been a victim of this, especially in our social media world, where you see that article just comes up on Facebook, and you read the title, you don't even read the whole article, but you read the title, and maybe the first few lines, and you're like, "Oh I can't believe our government does that." Share! Oh, yeah. of the time, I'm making up this data, Okay, but most of the time, it's not a real article. Did you know you could take the title of that news article, put it in Google, and it will tell you if it's real or if it's fake. There's dozens of websites that help us do that. But we as Christians, we get so bent out of shape on so many topics... That we just get angry and we share it and we send it. Can you believe this person? And, 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 and I sit there and I watch all of us do it. I've done it. And it's like, this isn't even real. He never said that. She never did this. And we're promoting it like it's gospel. Are you thinking spiritually? What shows a good testimony to the world? that you are a temple, that you are God's presence in this city? Are we losing our witness? Who cares if the government does everything we want and all of them go to hell? Can I say that? I guess not. Okay, but you see what I mean? We can have the government do everything we want and they all go to hell. Were we successful according to this? No, that's not the mission to create a Christian nation. The mission is to be spiritual beings in the world. That's the goal. So are we thinking spiritually or are we thinking worldly? I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be in politics, blah, blah. We should be. But if you think that's the, wor- the goal of the church, you're thinking worldly, not spiritually spiritually. Second question we have to ask ourselves, how is my temple? Ask yourself, are you eating healthy? I'm not talking McDonald's versus salad, okay? Because I'm doing that thing, and I'm tracking most days, not all days, in my phone, what I eat. I track how much exercise, because I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be 48 in a couple of weeks. I feel it. I'm 48, and you guys who are older than that look at me like, shut up. Okay, because you don't know old, but okay? But I'm sore, and I haven't done anything. I haven't exercised, and I'm sore. I'm sleeping in bed at night, I'm sore. And what's the deal with getting up four times to go to the bathroom? This is stupid, okay? I might have a problem. i got to check this out. So I'm not talking that. I'm talking, are you eating healthy? Paul talks about milk or solid food. Other translations might call it meat. Now, what's fascinating, I love this topic of milk versus meat, because traditionally, the church uses those words to evaluate the leader. Does the leader give me milk, or does the pastor give me meat? Paul doesn't look at it as a leadership issue. Paul looks at it as a church issue. I'm trying to give you deeper teaching, but you're still living like a non-Christian. How can I teach you about God's plan for sexuality when you're still living this way? How can I teach you about spiritual disciplines when you don't even care? How can I teach you a deeper level of loving your neighbor as yourself when you never speak to your neighbor? Meat versus milk is a life thing. It's a response of the church to the teaching, not a critique against the pastor. Now, yes, sometimes you do need to critique the pastor, blah, blah, blah. If he's not teaching biblical, absolutely. But Paul is asking the church, are you eating healthy? Over the last few years, I have had to learn how to eat healthy in my leadership and in my walk with Jesus. I have been learning as I study the Bible— Learning. Not looking to the world of what it means to be a leader of an organization like ours, but looking to scripture of what it says to be a leader of a church. Eating a lot of humble pie. (laughs) Because according to the world, I should be the smartest person in the room, I should have it all together. I should be the leader of leaders, the one that everyone turns to for advice. I should be the expert in my field. I should have a couple of master's degree, a PhD. Hey, let's, let's work on a doctorate while we're at it. Let's show off how smart I am and educated. Start uh, writing a book or two. Go on a conference tour. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Sounds like a lot of fun. It just doesn't sound very biblical. And God has been showing me I actually don't need to be the smartest person in the room. There are people here at Greenbelt who are better leaders than me. There are people here at Greenbelt who know the Bible better than me. And I'm totally cool with that. I'm not threatened by it. I'm not worried about it because my call is to lead this church. Doesn't mean I have to be the best. Doesn't have to be, I have to be the smartest. My call is to pray for this church. My my call is to guard the vision of this church. My my call is to invest in in a few people so that they can invest in even more people. My call is to preach the word of God in a way that it actually transforms how people live. (laughs) And trust God with all of this. (laughs) So I'm totally cool the fact that you know the Bible better than me, and you're more educated than me, and you're smarter than me. That's awesome. You do your call, I'll do my call, and we'll watch God be glorified together. But that requires learning how to eat. Humble pie tastes great. tastes actually like bumbleberry. So it's really good. So are you eating healthy? The first, are you thinking worldly or are you thinking spiritually? Second, are you eating healthy? And then finally, the question to ask yourself is, is your temple structurally sound? Is your temple structurally sound? Paul addresses it like this in verse 10. He says, by By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And then someone else builds on that. What is your sure foundation? Your solid foundation? Is your temple built on a solid foundation? Your solid foundation, according to Paul, is Jesus Christ. It's not the denomination It's not the church that preaches the way I like. It's not the church that does the music the way I like. It's not the church that does the programs that I like. Those are all good things. But if we build our foundation on that, it will not last. It will crumble. It'll be burned away. The foundation that you and I need to build our lives on is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ killed and resurrected and returned to heaven, where he speaks to God on your behalf. When you turn from your sin, when you repent from your sin, Paul calls it becoming a new humanity, Jesus calls it being born again. That's the foundation that Paul taught. You see, and Paul spent most of his ministry dealing with something that he called uh, false teachers. That people, leaders, who are trying to build a following, trying to build a religion, trying to build their position, are trying to take the Christians off of that firm firm foundation and say, no, 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 it's all about how you keep the rules. It's all about whether you're circumcised or not. Membership class for that one with the men is very short line, okay? (laughs) It's all about how you deal with food. It's all about who you listen to, trying to take people away from that foundation. Because that's the plan of the devil. If the devil can get the church off of the foundation of Jesus, we have no leg to stand on. The day our denomination, and we see that in our day in Canada where church denominations the foundation is not Jesus. The foundation is the tradition. The foundation is social justice. The foundation is something else, but the foundation is not Jesus. Ten years from now, those doors will be closed. Canada doesn't need churches where the foundation is not Jesus. Canada needs churches that say, look, we're not perfect. We're messy. We don't really know what we're doing, but we're trusting Jesus. <laughs> He's the foundation. Nothing else. Because We are God's presence in this city. You are God's presence in this city. If you have turned from your sin and come to Jesus. So Paul's desire, my desire for you, for me, is that we clean up our temple. That we do ministry in a way, teaching in a way, life in a way that helps all of us deal with our temple. So that God would be glorified everywhere that we go. Are you thinking worldly, thinking spiritually, eating healthy, and what's your foundation? So some great questions to start this journey to deal with our mess as individuals, and then watch that carry over into God's family, the church. Because when you and I deal with our mess, suddenly there's no messes here to deal with. And God is glorified, and the name of Jesus is lifted up, and we see amazing things happen in our day. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you for your word and how it speaks and um, how it convicts. Um, thankfully, lovingly, but firmly as a spiritual father would. And God, I, I, I'm grateful as we kick off this series. Um, Lord, I confess to you my fear of this book. <laughs> For, for a year now, I felt it was time to teach this, and I, oh, goodness, I didn't want to, because it can feel, ah, yeah, God, when you're working in us and when you want to clean us up. But, God, I pray that you would start with me. Clean me up, God, for your glory, not for my fame, but for Jesus' fame so that more and more people would see the presence of God in this city. And I pray that for all of us here at Greenbelt, those of us who, whether we've been coming to this church for 40 years or this is our first Sunday here, I pray, Lord, that you would work on all of our temples. (laughs) Work on us, God. Help us to truly be your presence in this city. So when we leave here, when we go to our families, when we go to our schools, when we go to our workplaces, when we go to our community events, our sporting events, that we would truly bring the presence of God everywhere that we go. So, Father, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to move from thinking worldly to thinking spiritually. I pray that we would move off of milk and start eating more healthy, solid food. And, God, I pray that our, that our temple would firmly be built on the foundation of who Jesus is. You know, maybe, you know, you're here today or maybe you're watching this online and and you would actually say you're not too sure that your foundation is on Jesus. Maybe it's on church. Maybe it's on some form of spirituality. I've even met some people where they say their foundation is on God, but it's this loose term for God. And I just want you to know that... um, God loves you. And God wants so much more for your life than you even want for it. God doesn't want you to simply just go to heaven. God wants you to experience his abundance, his power, his joy, his mercy, his peace in your life today. And that's not done through spirituality and religious rules. It's only given when we turn from our sin And we run to Jesus. I know sometimes we as Christians, we tell you just pray a simple prayer, but it's not about a prayer. It's about a shift of the heart where I don't want this sin anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want something different. It's a shift of the heart. And Paul says, when you do that, God sees you as his child, that you are made new. And you're brought into the family. And you can do that simply where you're sitting or where you are online at home. Just by simply saying, God, thank you that Jesus has the power to forgive my sin. Today, God, come into my life. Make me new. I want my foundation to be on Jesus. And if you pray that for the first time, I would love to talk to you afterwards, whether in person or by email. Please get in touch with us. We want you to start a good journey together as a family of God because we're all messy none of us have got this perfect (laughs) but the beauty of God is he loves us he knits us together to do this and we don't go through it alone as I clean up my mess and God cleans up your mess he will truly do more than we could ask or imagine because you are God's presence in the city and so that temple needs to be cleaned up we're gonna collect our offering now this is part of our worship if you're a guest today, please don't feel obligated to give. I just pray that today was a gift to you, unless God puts it on your heart to do so. If you're joining us online and you wanted to give, you could just go to greenbelt.church. There's a giving link up there and you could give online that way. I'm just going to pray for our offering. And so Lord, I pray and thank you for this offering and how you use it, that you multiply it, that you you do more than we could ask or imagine, God. It's just crazy what you're doing in our city and in our day. And God, we're grateful that you do this through the generosity of your church, through supporting missionaries, through supporting church planting, through supporting new ministry initiatives, by paying for staff and all the different things, God, for paying for this building and other ways that we bless the city. God, you are truly on the move, and it's a joy to be a part of that work, Lord. So God, we give to you and we trust you with the rest. And Lord, as we continue to worship, I pray that this theme of looking at our temple, would resonate with us, that we would leave here different as we spend time hearing from you, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.